A year ago, Vladimir Putin gave the order to his troops, invade Ukraine. Since then, we've been inundated with theories about the Russian president's plans, his intentions and his mindset. But few of those casting speculations have actually met him, let alone work closely with him. My next guest has had direct insight into what's going on in Putin's head, tasked with putting his thoughts onto paper. Abbas Galiabov is a two-time former Putin speechwriter currently living in Tel Aviv. As of two weeks ago, Russia designated him a foreign agent. And he joins us this morning. Abbas, welcome to the program. Hello. You worked as Putin's speechwriter twice. I think it was for three years overall. What drew you to that job? Well, frankly speaking, just uh, career perspectives. I was working for him uh, long ago. The first time it was just uh, the beginning of his presidency, the year 2001, and uh, nothing nothing, uh, promised that he would become what he became. Like, he looked uh, normal. Uh, He was speaking about modernization, uh, democracy, and so on. So the second time I came to him when he was a prime minister and uh, we were dealing mostly with economics, no politics at all. So he didn't look scary at that moment at all again. Uh, So there were no like uh, political uh, contradictions between me and him. So this uh, career perspectives uh, were the the major things, Um, uh, uh, social status, career perspective, all these things, they counted. What was the experience like? Was Putin a good manager? Oh, yes. Frankly speaking, uh, he was the most logical and uh, the most, you know, um, the most logical man I met and a very good manager who who knew how to give orders, how to get uh, the feedback, how to ask people questions so that uh, not to appear that you're pressing on them for them not to give you the right answers. He was like, he seemed very objective. And you know, when, when it happened, what, it, what happened uh, last year when the war started and all these atrocities, uh, which were, were clearly approved by him, uh, I was trying to figure out how, how could it be that this man whom I knew turned down to do that man who is doing all, uh, committing all these crimes. And I understood that probably the answer is in his, uh, you know, uh, multifaceted nature, if you can tell. He's like a chameleon. He's uh, very, he might be very different. At those times when I remember him, nothing threatened his uh, political authority, political power. So he felt himself confident and he didn't need to to be aggressive, to be uh, like, uh, you know, deep inside, uh, he's not like Stalin. He's not enjoying torturing people. He's becoming aggressive only when he feels that uh, somebody threatening his power. And uh, recently he was moving towards becoming more and more aggressive, more and more authoritarian because he was losing popularity in Russia and uh, like uh, threats to his authority were uh, rising constantly, like more and more often, more and more often. Uh, the process began at least in 2018, and after this, it was just speeding up all the time. So uh, he he just woke up another uh, man in himself, like to say, so to say, not that one whom I remember. Again, at that time, he he felt very comfortable, and he didn't need to uh, to be aggressive. Now he needs to be aggressive to preserve power. That's why he turned into a beast. 
That's really interesting. You are critical of the Kremlin and Putin and the war in Ukraine. When did your scepticism or questions begin? Well, it was it's it's not like, you know, today you are not skeptical and tomorrow you are becoming skeptical. It was rising little by little from the very beginning. Actually, even uh, during the first year, uh, some of his uh, things so he, which he was doing, I didn't like them. That's why yeah, I worked for him uh, for one year. And uh, when I got uh, a suggestion to move to the Russian opposition leader, Boris Nemtsov, who, who was later killed uh, by uh, Putin's thugs, uh, I moved to, to him with great pleasure So because I was always democratically minded. And I worked with him uh, with, uh, with great pleasure. And uh, second time, again, I'm telling uh, when I came to him to, 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 to the government, he was not political at that moment. Medvedev was doing politics. Medvedev, at that time, he seemed to be a modernizer, you know, uh, trying to uh, like uh, improve the relations uh, with America, with the Western world in general. Speaking about modernization, Putin was just dealing with economics, trying to overcome the uh, economic crisis. So uh, it was more or less OK, but still like. Some things were getting like you know uh, worse and worse. And in 2014, uh, when they captured Crimea, I left civil service. I, I decided that I would never be uh, in civil service in uh, Russia again. I became an independent political consultant. And then in 2018, when I felt that they're becoming more and more oppressive, I started being more and more vocal critic uh, of them and uh, I fell out finally I like I fell out with Kremlin with the Putin's administration administration they declared me to be their enemy so I left uh, country I took out my children and I moved to Israel and uh, started uh, like working from uh, Israel and in 2020 when uh, the the war started I lost all my contracts with the Russian politicians because now the situation there is like absolutely abnormal. Now Russia is moving, you know, from the state of uh, classic traditional authoritarianism to totalitarian state. It has not arrived there yet. You cannot tell that it's already Stalin's age, but definitely some steps are being made in that direction. And no Russian politician can afford uh, to use consultant like uh, like me, who is so uh, critical towards uh, Kremlin. So it was step by step, uh, little by little, uh, over many years. Is Putin a man who has a clear plan or strategy? No, I would say he's a brilliant tactician, but he's a poor strategist. That's why actually he's like Hitler. He was also moving from one victory to another uh, until he arrived to a great defeat, uh, which ended his life. And uh, Putin is doing exactly the same. He's moving... Uh, from one tactical success to the other, into uh, into the in, into the direction uh, into uh, into an abyss. Uh, that's what he's doing. He's like you know he's not a politician. He mentally he's still a KGB agent. And you know these guys are uh, they're not setting the goals. It's all it's always uh, some political leader who is uh, making the goals for them, and they're just thinking how to achieve these goals. So being a KGB agent in his mind, he he is not accustomed to setting the goals. He's just enjoying life. You know, when nothing is threatening his authority, he's just, uh, you know, enjoying life, uh, enjoying social, high social status, enjoying uh, like uh, his, uh, uh, like all the people worshiping him around, this power, this authority. So he not, he's not moving anywhere when he's comfortable. And uh, when the threat appears, he begin, he starts fighting this threat. That's why he's always reacting to 
external threats which are appearing and solving those problems. And when there are no problems, he's just drifting along, just uh, allowing this, uh, you know, the river f <laughs> to take him away. So he's, uh, he's not a strategist at all. That's why he is trapped now. Why do you think he started the war then in, in Ukraine? If if he when he's when he's at a high, you say he enjoys all of the luxuries and the and the political capital. Why did he want to go down this road, this risky road? Because the, yeah, because the poli domestic political situation was no longer comfortable for him. He couldn't enjoy life at that moment. Uh, in two thousand eighteen, his ratings uh, visibly started falling down. The process of delegitimization started a bit earlier, probably in 2016, it was already visible that uh, there was demand for change appearing in the country. And in 2017, but uh, th th those times it was not very visible, only experts could feel it. But in 2018, his ratings fell down and protests started. And uh, after this, the process was just uh, speeding up. He, be he was becoming really illegitimate. And if uh, all the all these processes uh, continued, uh, he would have become totally legitimate uh, by, by, by 2024, uh, which was the year which is the year of his uh, next elections, and he could face serious problems with being re-elected. So, uh, and the main problem was uh, that Russian people they lost interest in foreign policy. They turned back to domestic issues. They stopped paying attention to all this NATO, Ukraine, USA, uh, and all this propaganda talks about the external enemy. Russian people started paying attention to growing uh, social inequality, towards uh, paying attention declining to, to declining living standards, uh, poor economics, uh, the degrading social system, especially healthcare system, corruption. And all these things, and uh, uh, so he was really losing legitimacy, and he needed to uh, to change the context of perception of Russian politics. He needed again people to start thinking about foreign policy, foreign enemies. That's why he needed escalation. I'm absolutely sure if there had been no Ukraine, no NATO, he would have found some other enemy uh, to. He needed to consolidate nation around him for for the nation to put aside all the. Uh, all the grievances which it has uh, against the government to put them aside and uh, start, uh, you know, and, and start looking at the enemy and uh, uh, rallying around Putin. So he started escalating. He needed to escalate. He started escalation, and at some point he just uh, failed to stop in time, and he let himself be driven by emotions, and he started the war, which he's. Oh, he obviously shouldn't have started, even from his own point of view. I am absolutely sure if he had known what the result, what the outcome would be, he would never have started that. But he, he was sure that it would be something like uh, when he captured Crimea back in 2014. No blood, quick, decisive victory, and all the Russian nation is happy rolling around him. And like this, he gets re-elected, like uh, standing on his head. He failed. I want to talk about Putin's State of the Nation address where he said he was suspending Russia's involvement in the New START arms treaty. You think the way it was written reveals it was added much later because of Biden's visit to Kiev. Can you explain why? Well, you know, presidential speechwriter is that trying to make uh, texts, his, his texts, you know, logical, coherent. Uh, like you can't be speaking about 
one issue in two places. If you start with foreign policy and Putin started with foreign policy and you can, you're complaining about the West, you, you're complaining about America and uh, you're explaining how you're going to act in this situation. So, okay, you finish this topic, you are coming to domestic politics, then coming to uh, economics and, uh, and then you're finishing. But in this case, the, the, this logic was broken. He started with uh, complaining about the West. Uh, he dwelled on that for like one third of his text. Then he switched over to economics and domestic politics. He uh, developed everything he was going to make there, promising a bright future to Russians uh, for two thirds of the text. And then all of a sudden again, he's complaining uh, about America and saying that uh, they're going uh, to uh, suspend uh, Russia's participation in this nuclear treaty. Uh, so um, I know that their standards. They would never have done that. They would have inserted this piece at the beginning of the text. Uh, and uh, why they didn't make this, there is only one explanation. They were making it at the last moment and they didn't have time. You know, inserting the, this uh, patch into the text requires more time when you're doing it inside the text. Much easier just to add it at the end. Less time is necessary. So they did exactly this. I, and uh, and uh, my conclusion was that they just didn't have time for that. And that means they were doing it in the last night, in the, in, 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 in the last morning. And what made them uh, change the structure of the text, change the text, insert the piece which was not planned. Uh, what happened the previous day? Biden's visit to Kiev. And I understand Putin, you know, the, the, the main thing he's obsessed with is to appear strong in the eyes of Russian elites, in the, eyes, in the eyes of his entourage, which respects him as a strong, tough guy. You know, there's this mentality of this thug's mentality. And so he just couldn't fail to respond to this act of aggression, which uh, Biden delivered and uh, which how they perceive it, of course. It's not me saying it's there saying mm. like this. So when he arrived to Ukraine, it was like a pure act of aggression. He ignored Putin, ignored his rockets. He just slapped Putin in the face. He, uh, like Russian propaganda was telling, uh, well, the West is going soon to stop supporting Ukraine because the West is tired and public opinion in the Western countries is against this uh, involvement into this war and uh, soon Ukraine will be left alone and then we will devour it. And uh, all of a sudden Biden arrives there and he's like, oh, uh, like you know, just destructing, destroying the, the whole construction which Russian propaganda was building for months. Uh, he's arriving to Ukraine, to Kiev and telling, no, I don't care about Putin and we're going to support Ukraine till the last moment when, uh, while they're fighting. Uh, we're not going to stop this support. And of course, this is a big slap onto Putin's face and Putin needs to respond. And then this uh, piece appears. So that's, I put all of these things together and I arrived at the conclusion which we're discussing now. Thank you so much for sharing your insights with us this morning. Thank you. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.